بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين. إن شاء الله continuing with our study of the life of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم السيرة النبوية the prophetic biography. In the previous session, we started talking about the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم's journey and mission uh, to Tabuk. This is one of the major uh, campaigns and expeditions of the ninth year of Hijrah, the ninth year of the Prophet wasallam's residence uh, in the city of Medina. And so we started off by talking about exactly what happened, why it happened, um, and exactly what was to transpire. In the previous session, we talked about preparing for that particular journey. And some of the very touching, some of the very remarkable and the very insightful um, things that occurred as they prepared to depart and to leave for this particular journey. Today what we're going to be talking about is the actual journey itself, the departure, when they leave Medina and begin to proceed towards Tabuk. The very first thing that I wanted to highlight here is that the scholars of the Sirah, Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Kathir, and many, many others, they all mentioned that the numbers present at this particular time, during this campaign, this expedition, was that the Prophet ﷺ was accompanied by 30,000 sahaba, 30,000 companions. And while that is a very, very large number, and up until now that was the largest number that had traveled with the Prophet ﷺ on any of his expeditions and campaigns. However, at the same time, the potential forces that they were going to be facing off and meeting there in Tabuk were rumored to have been at least 100,000 and there were even some reports of two and 300,000 soldiers. So even with this, they were going to be outnumbered from anywhere, anywhere from three to one to up till nine to one. So it was still very, very heavy odds, 10 to one, excuse me. So it was still very, very heavy odds. Nevertheless, there were 30,000 companions with the Prophet ﷺ. And as had become the habit and kind of the standard operating procedure of the munafiqoon, of the hypocrites, it mentions that Abdullah bin Ubay bin Sulul, he gathered together his group um, and they also departed right behind, not too far behind the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims. However, as was expected from them, shortly after departing from Medina, then they basically turned around and just went right back to Medina and they abandoned uh, the army as that they were known to do, as they were prone to do. Nevertheless, uh, proceeding forward and moving forward, there are some very remarkable and powerful uh, stories about what transpired exactly at this time as they were departing and as they were heading out to Tabuk on this particular expedition. The first thing that I wanted to mention, which is also one of the essential details of any of these campaigns and expeditions, was who did the Prophet ﷺ leave in charge? Who did the Prophet ﷺ put in charge of Medina in his absence? So this is something that's very interesting. At this particular time, the person that the Prophet ﷺ identified to stay behind and to safeguard Medina, to protect Medina, to take care of the community in Medina, since it was such a large number of people that were heading out. And at the same time, Medina was not just some small little town anymore, but basically it was the headquarters for now this growing Muslim area, this growing 
growing Muslim territory that covered the entire region all the way from up in Khaybar all the way down to the city of Mecca. And there were even some satellite remote locations like places like Bahrain and Yemen where Islam had taken root now. So whoever was left in charge of Medina had to be somebody who the Prophet ﷺ had confidence in would be able to manage all the affairs of the state in the absence of the Prophet ﷺ. The person that the Prophet ﷺ chose according to the uh, scholars of the Sirah ibn Ishaq and others was Ali ibn Abi Talib. The Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He chose him to basically watch over Medina in his absence. And the narrations mentioned that two things occurred. Number one, Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he had accompanied the Prophet on every single battle, expedition, campaign from the very beginning. He had always been with the Prophet. So already in and of itself, he was a little, you know, disheartened or a little. Um, sad at the fact that he would not be by the side of the Prophet ﷺ. And so he did eventually mention to the Prophet ﷺ that, you know, you left me behind, and the only people that I see in Medina left there are three types of people. There are the women, there are the children, and then amongst the men, there are just the munafiqun and the hypocrites. And so it's just, it's very hard for me to stay behind. The other thing that happened was, some of the munafiqun started to ta- taunt him and tease him. And started, you know, basically taunting him about being left behind. So he eventually became so uncomfortable, particularly at the taunting and the provoking of the munafiqun, that he got his ride together and he rode out behind the Prophet ﷺ, after the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ, obviously traveling with 30,000 soldiers, you move at a slower pace. So they were at one of the stops that they had made the following day. And Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu caught up to them. When... He came to the Prophet ﷺ, he told the Prophet ﷺ, and the Prophet ﷺ said, what are you doing here? I left you in charge of Medina. And he said that, well, they were saying these things about me, and they were calling me a hypocrite, and look, the Prophet ﷺ left you behind, etc., etc. The Prophet ﷺ said, كَذَبُوا, they lie. وَلَكِنِّي خَلَّفْتُكَ لِمَا تَرَكْتُ وَرَائِي I left you in charge of Medina because of how serious the responsibility is there. I left you there not because I didn't want you with me. I left you there precisely because of your the respect and the 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 the, the trust and the love that I have for you. And he said, "Farjir, fakhlufni fi ahli wa ahlika." He says, "Go back and you take care of my family and your family because they they were one family." And then the Prophet ﷺ furthermore consoled him by saying to him, "Afala tarda ya Ali." Would you not like the fact, O Ali, أَن تَكُونَ مِنِّي بِمَنْزِلَةِ هَارُونَ مِنْ مُوسَى That you would, be my, you would be Harun to my Musa. That you would be like what Harun was to Musa, that's what you would be for me. إِلَّا أَنَّهُ لَا نَبِيَّ بَعْدِي Minus the fact that there are no prophets after me. There are no prophets after me. So Harun was left in charge by Musa salam when he went to go converse with Allah. But the thing was that Harun was a prophet as well. The Prophet said, I am trusting you like Musa trusted Harun. However, there's no prophethood, but nevertheless that's the level of trust I have in you. That's the level of confidence I have in you. And when Ali heard this, and he understood the responsibility the Prophet was giving him, then Ali went back 
to Medina and took care of the city of Medina and the affairs of the Muslims in the absence of the Prophet And this is of course a hadith that's in Bukhari and Muslim and many, many different other books of hadith. Now, while they're on their journey, there's a couple of very beautiful, remarkable, powerful incidents. The first one that is mentioned by a number again of the scholars of Sirah and Hadith, such as Ibn Ishaq and others, is about a Sahabi by the name of Abu Khaythama. Abu Khaythama. Abu Khaythama, that's what he was known as popularly, that was his kunniya, that's what, that's what he was known as, that was his moniker. However, his name was Malik ibn Qais. Malik ibn Qais, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, is a companion of the Prophet wasallam. So he had left with the Prophet ﷺ. He had departed along with them, as he was supposed to. But the narration mentions that shortly after they had left, it was so hot, the journey was so difficult, and the heat was so bad, that a few days after traveling, he felt that, you know, this is maybe unbearable, this is too much for me to handle. And he went back to Medina. He said, we're close enough right now. And he rode back to Medina. When he got back to Medina, the narration mentions that he had a garden. And in the garden, he had like a little bit of a, like we will have like sometimes in the backyard, like a shed or a patio or, a, or, or you'll see in a park, like a little, um, you know, a little picnic area, if you will. Um, and so he had one of those types of setups in his garden. And when he got home and the news reached to his house that he's coming back home, then his wife went and you know prepared the entire you know area and basically made all this fresh food, got all this cool, clean water, and she basically set up like an entire picnic and a feast very nicely. And when he got there, and he saw the entire setup, then he stopped right there without entering into the tent, without entering into it from outside. He saw beautiful tent is set up, comfortable cushions are set, set up for him to be able to sit down. There's food and there's drink and there's all these different things that are set up nicely. He stopped right there outside of it and he looked at it and he says, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fi dhihi wa rihi wal harri wa Abu Khaythama fi dhillin baridin wa ta'amin muhayyain wa imra'atin hasna fi malihi muqim He said that the Prophet sallallahu is out there sacrificing in the heat, the sweltering heat with the hot burning winds of the desert and the sand blowing in his face. And Abu Khaythama is supposed to sit here in the shade, in the cool, with all this food and drink prepared, with his lovely wife, sitting here comfortably at home, while the Prophet is out there struggling and sacrificing. He said, Mahada bin Nasaf. He said, This doesn't make any sense. This makes no sense whatsoever. This is not right. And then he said, Wallahi, la adhulu arisha wahidatin. So then the Prophet, then he basically said, Abu Khaythama, that I swear by God, I will not enter into this tent 
ever again until I go back and rejoin the Prophet So prepare my ride. And they went and they prepared the ride and they prepared him some you know, provisions and supplies for the journey. And he immediately set out on his way to go and rejoin the Prophet The narration mentions that on the way, he met Umayr bin Wahab. Umayr bin Wahab, this was a Muslim from Mecca, and he was a part of a very interesting story. We talked about previously the story of Safwan bin Umayyah, who had ran away from Mecca when the Prophet ﷺ came for the conquest of Mecca. And it was Umayr bin Wahab, his friend, who went, asked the Prophet ﷺ, please forgive him. And the Prophet ﷺ gave him his turban as a sign, as proof of the fact that he was coming from the Prophet ﷺ, and he went and he brought him back. This is that Umayr bin Wahab. He met Umayd bin Wahab on the way. And he said, where are you going? He said, I heard the Prophet ﷺ is on his way, and I want to go and join him. He said, well, I'm headed there too. And they joined up together, and they traveled the rest of the way together. And the narration mentions that the Prophet ﷺ had already, along with the Muslim army, they had reached the place of Tabuk. And when they had reached the place of Tabuk, the Prophet ﷺ had actually looked around and noticed that Abu Khaythama was not there. And the Prophet ﷺ had even asked the Sahaba, where is Abu Khaythama? Where is Abu Khaythama? And he said, we don't know, Rasulullah ﷺ, I think he went back and he stayed back. The Prophet ﷺ did not say anything. When they, now they were already camped out at Tabuk, and that's when Abu Khaythama and Umayr bin Wahab catch up to the Prophet ﷺ. When they're coming from a distance, the Muslim army, the people that are camped out there, some of the scouts, they see somebody riding, on, riding towards them in the distance. And they shout it out, as is the job of the scout. There's somebody headed this way on the road. The Prophet ﷺ, when he heard the scouts shouting out that there's someone riding this direction, the Prophet ﷺ, as almost a dua, he said, Kun Aba Khaythama. Kun Aba Khaythama. Let it be Abu Khaythama. And then as soon as he got near enough to where they could recognize him, the scout once again shouted out, Ya Rasulullah, huwa wallahi Abu Khaythama. O Messenger of God, I swear to Allah that it is actually Abu Khaythama. When he reached the Prophet ﷺ, and the Prophet ﷺ said to him, Awla laka ya Abu Khaythama. That it is so good to see you, O Abu Khaythama. I'm glad that you came back. And then he told the Prophet ﷺ his whole story, that our Messenger of Allah, please forgive me. I had a lapse in judgment. I went back home. But when I got home and I saw that, and I said, I can't be here while the Prophet ﷺ is out there. So I came back, and the Prophet ﷺ made dua for him. And he prayed for him. There's another very similar story that is very, very powerful. It starts off with Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu, telling us, Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu is the one who narrates his story, and it's also narrated by Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas and others, that the Prophet ﷺ, when they were traveling to Tabuk, because remember, and I talked about this in the previous sessions, Tabuk was one of those instances, in firu khifafan wa thiqalan, everyone who was capable of going had to go, it was mandatory to go. So that's why the Prophet ﷺ was regularly kind of taking a roll call, looking around, surveying who was there and who wasn't. Who made it and who did not. So the Prophet ﷺ, whenever he would notice that somebody was not there, he would ask about that person. Where is this person? And they would tell the Prophet 
So eventually what happened was that the Prophet, they, some Sahaba would come to the Prophet and they would say, Tahallafa Fulanun, so and so did not come. So and so did not join us. And the Prophet as a response, he would say, Da'uhu, leave him be. If there is good in that man, God will allow him to come and join you. But if there's something else there, this was the tafa'ul of the Prophet ﷺ. This was the positivity of the Prophet ﷺ. This is a very important quality that we need to have. Positivity encourages people, motivates people, inspires people, breeds more positivity. Negativity breeds more negativity. And so the Prophet was so positive, he said, if there's good, if there's good in him, then God will allow him to join you. Now instead of saying, if there's bad in him, but the Prophet didn't say that. He said, if it's something else, I don't even want to say it. If there's something else, then God spared you from him being with you. If he's not going to be act well, if he's not going to be good, if he's not going to be encouraging, he's not going to be positive, he's not going to be motivated, then it's like dragging, you know, dead weight. So if there's good in him, he'll come eventually. Sooner or later, he'll get here. And if, the, if he's not so good, then God spared you from having to deal with him. So every time somebody came to him and said that so-and-so is not here, so-and-so is not here, the Prophet would always respond with this. Until finally, they came to the, somebody came to the Prophet They said Abu Dhar. Now Abu Dhar is not some ordinary person. He's a senior companion of the Prophet Abu Dhar al-Ghifari. He accepted Islam in the early days of Mecca. Came from, from the tribe of Ghifar, came from abroad, came to Mecca. Personally met with the Prophet and accepted Islam. He's a senior companion, very respected. And so, somebody came to him and he said, Abu Dhar is not here. But then they said that, But he's not here, it's not that he's not present because he didn't want to come. Or he, you know, kind of tried to get out of coming. But he did not make it here yet because his camel slowed him down. His camel was not strong enough to endure the journey carrying both him and all the supplies. So his camel slowed him down. The Prophet ﷺ once again responded in the same way. Da'uhu. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about him. If there's good in him, then God will allow him to join you. And if it's something else, then God spared you from having to be in his company. So the narration goes on to tell us what happened with Abu Dhar. It's very fascinating. Abu Dhar radiallahu ta'ala anhu kept trying to, you know, get his camel to keep going. And when the camel finally gave up, then he stopped. Like obviously, the camel stopped, the car stopped. So he was there just trying to think, what am I supposed to do? He was left in the way, in the middle of the way by himself. So finally, when he realized the camel's not going to be able to continue the journey carrying him and all the supplies, what he did was, فَجَعَلَهُ عَلَى ظَهْرِهِ 
He realized the camel's not going to make it. So what he did was he took all the supplies off the camel, you know, tied it up, kind of put it on his own back, like a hiking bag, like a big old hiking bag. Okay? He strapped it onto his own back, all of his supplies, and he started walking in the direction of Tabuk. The Prophet ﷺ by this time had reached Tabuk. They were camped out there for some time. And one of the days, as they're there camped out at Tabuk, because they were there for about 20 days, one of the days, when the scouts again is keeping a lookout, and he sees somebody walking. So again, he shouts out, Ya Rasulullah, inna hadha rajula mashin ala tariq. O Messenger of God, there is a man walking along on the path. The Prophet ﷺ once again made dua, Kun abadhar. Please let it be Abu Dhar. After a while, when he got close enough where they could recognize him, they said, Ya O Messenger of God, by Allah, it is actually Abu Dhar. The Prophet ﷺ, when he sees Abu Dhar in the distance, walking by himself, with all these supplies strapped to his back, the Prophet ﷺ made dua. And he said, Yarhamullahu Abadar. May God have mercy upon Abu Dhar. Yamshi Wahdahu. He walks by himself. Wayamutu Wahdahu. And he will die by himself. Wayubaathu Wahdahu. And he will be resurrected by himself. That's like a prophecy from the Prophet. That Abu Dhar is just one of those people. His iman is so strong. He'll walk by himself to get here. And he will die in seclusion, but he'll be resurrected from a spot where people won't be around him. But he will rejoin, of course, all the believers in paradise. The narration mentions that quite a bit of time later, the Prophet passed away. Abu Bakr was Khalifa, he passed away. Umar was Khalifa, he passed away. Uthman was Khalifa. And it's a famous story. I'll summarize it here, that Abu Dhar radiallahu ta'ala anhu already as it was, was a very, he just was a very kind of, um, he was a very strict person. He was a very disciplined, principled person, very strict. And especially in old age, we know sometimes in old age, folks can get sometimes a little rough. So he had become quite, you know, harsh, kind of rough in his demeanor in old age. And so it started to become a little bit of an issue, a scene in Mecca, excuse me, in Medina, that he would sometimes walk around and if he saw somebody doing something he didn't approve of, he would yell at them and shout at them, you know, chase after the kids, hey, what are you doing? Right? And so that started becoming kind of an issue and he was such a senior, older, respected of, companion of the Prophet ﷺ. Everyone respected him, but it, it was like there were multiple incidents a day. And nobody wanted to disrespect him, so they didn't know how to handle it. So eventually, they came to Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu. They said, you're of the caliber, or even more senior than Abu Dhar. You have more seniority than him. If anybody can talk to him, it's you. So then, Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu went to Abu Dhar. And he said, listen, Abu Dhar, you know I love you. I don't think that you have it within you to just kind of be very calm and patient anymore. 
old age, it's kind of, you know, had its wear and tear on you. You already were kind of a strict, harsh guy. In old age, I don't think you're going to be able to process living here. Medina's growing, people coming from everywhere all the time, constantly new Muslims, people from other cultures. And there's, it's the melting pot. Everything's coming together here. And I don't think you're going to be able to handle this situation. So finally, Uthman said, there's a very nice place, a little bit outside of Medina, about three miles outside of Medina. It's called Rabda. Rabda. Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu is said to have like some land or property out there as well. He said it's a really nice, calm, cool place. Only three miles away. You're close enough to where you can come, pray Jumu'ah with us and things like that. But I, I think it'll actually be calmer and easier for you and your nerves. So you're not just constantly agitated all the time. And Abu Dhar radiallahu ta'ala anhu understood what Uthman was saying. He agreed with him. He said, no, that makes a lot of sense. And so Abu Dhar radiallahu ta'ala anhu eventually moved out to Rabda in his old age. And he lived out there. And he lived out his days. He lived his days out over there. So the narration mentions now that it's decades later. The Prophet ﷺ, remember Abu Dhar is walking up to Tabuk? The Prophet ﷺ sees him. He says, may God have mercy on Abu Dhar. Walks by himself. Will die by himself. Will resurrect, be resurrected by himself. And decades go by and he's living at the place of Rabda as I explained. When he was on his deathbed, when he was about to die... The wasiyah that he made to his wife, he bequested, he requested his wife on his deathbed. He said, when I die, wash my body, shroud me, and then go and wait on the road. And the first folks that kind of pass by here, tell them that this is Abu Dhar, and then they'll pray a janazah and bury me. Simple. So when this happened, they, he passed away, they washed his body, his family, they shrouded him, they went out, put the body by the side of the road, and they just waited. It was like fudger time, early in the morning. And the narration mentions that there was a group that was traveling back from Kufa, from Iraq. And it was still kind of dark outside because it was fudger time, that they almost didn't notice that there were some people standing out there with a janazah. And then they saw them at the last minute and they stopped and they said, what's going on here? And they told them as Abu Dhar had told them that this is Abu Dhar. In that group that was traveling back from Kufa, from Iraq, going to Medina, Abdullah bin Mas'ud was in that group. And Abdullah bin Mas'ud was the one who heard the Prophet make say that dua about Abu Dhar. And when they said the words Hada Abu Dhar, the narration says, Fastahalla ibn Mas'ud Yabki. Abdullah bin Mas'ud started to weep. He started to sob. He cried out loud. And he said, choking on his own tears, he said, Sadaqa Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Subhanallah. He said, The Prophet spoke the truth. Yarhamullahu Abadhar. May God have mercy on Abu Dhar. Yamshi wahdahu, wa yamutu wahdahu, wa yuba'athu wahdahu. He walked by himself, he died by himself. And he'll be resurrected by himself. And then Abu Dhar, uh, Abdullah bin Masood himself got down from his transportation, the animal, and he led the janazah prayer there, and then they buried Abu Dhar there at that spot. And so these were some of the 
very remarkable incidents that occurred. At the same time, there were some miracles that occurred at this time as well. There's multiple narrations from the Musnad of Imam Ahmad. Also, there's narrations uh, in the books of Sirah, and, uh, like Ibn Ishaq, and also in the books of Hadith, um, that, uh, like in, by Imam al-Bayhaqi and others, that the journey, they, the, some of the Sahaba mentioned, usrati, that those who followed the Prophet ﷺ in the most harshest and severest of conditions, they were willing to follow the Prophet ﷺ into the most harshest and severest of conditions. They mentioned that there were two, sometime, most of the time, three people sharing one animal as a ride, as a transportation. They would take turns. That's how severe it was. And eventually, the hunger got so bad that they started talking about maybe sacrificing some of the animals for food. And when they asked the Prophet ﷺ, he initially told just one or two groups asked the Prophet ﷺ, and he said, sure. But after a while, when more people started to do this, Umar bin al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, um, came to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, O Messenger of Allah, if we keep on sacrificing our animals, we might not be left with any transportation. And so Abu Bakr ﷺ, and the Prophet ﷺ agreed with him, he said, you're right. Abu Bakr ﷺ comes to the Prophet ﷺ and he says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ قَدْ عَوَّدَكَ فِي الدُّعَاءِ خَيْرًا فَدْعُوا اللَّهَ لَنَا He says, Allah has put great khayr, great blessing in your dua, your supplication, O Prophet. Please make dua for us. He said, أَتُحِبُّ ذَلِكَ Do you want me to make dua for you? He said, yes, please make dua for us. The Prophet ﷺ raised his hands up to the sky. And then the Prophet ﷺ kept his hands up making dua. Everyone was watching him. And while his hands were still up to the sky making dua, the Sahaba say, فَأَذَلَّتْ Clouds started moving into the sky. ثُمَّ سَكَبَتْ And then it started to rain. It started to rain, give them water, because they were thirsty. And everyone started filling up all their water sacks and whatever they had that they could fill water in. And the narration says, Some of the Sahaba said that we started kind of like walking around the area looking at where it was raining, and they swear that it was not raining outside of where the army was camped. It was only raining on top of the Muslim group. Another narration similarly mentions that some of the, when they came to the Prophet ﷺ, and they said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, the same narration that Umar anhu says that, إِن فَعَلْتَ قَلَّ وَلَكِنْ أُدْعُوهُمْ بِفَضْلِ أَزْوَادِهِمْ وَدْعُوا اللَّهَ لَهُمْ فِيهَا بِالْبَرَكَةِ لَعَلَّ اللَّهَ إِنْ يَجْعَلَ فِيهَا الْبَرَكَةِ now this provided water, but there was still a shortage of food. And Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu came to the Prophet as I mentioned previously, and he said, if we keep sacrificing the animals, we won't have any transportation. So I have an idea, O Messenger of Allah, if I may. The Prophet said, sure, what's your idea? He said, if you ask everyone to bring whatever food, whatever rations they have left, they gather it together in front of you, you make dua that Allah puts barakah in it, it'll, I have conviction it'll be enough for everybody. The Prophet ﷺ said, sure, let's do that. So the Prophet, they, they basically put out some you know, shawls and sheets, 
And they told everyone to bring all your food and all your rations and all your supplies. Somebody brought some bread, somebody brought some dates, somebody brought this, that. Everybody brought everything together. And they put it all together. And when it was all put together, the narration says, It looked like very little. 30,000 people. And it was just like a table full of food. It looked very little. Then the Prophet ﷺ started to make dua. And he asked Allah, will Allah put barakah in this? Then while the Prophet ﷺ continued making dua, he told them, Start coming and bringing your, the sacks in which you keep your rations and supplies, and start filling up your sacks. Start filling up the containers of food. And the Prophet ﷺ kept making dua. And they came and they kept up filling up their containers until all the containers of the entire army were full of food. Then the Prophet ﷺ said, start taking food from here to eat. Then they all started taking food from there to eat until everybody had eaten to their fill. And after all of that was done, there was still food left on the table. And then the Prophet ﷺ said the following statement. He said, Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah wa anni rasulullah. I bear witness, I give testimony that there is no one worthy of worship except for Allah alone, and that I am the Messenger of Allah. And then he said, La yalqallaha bihima abdun ghayra shakin fihima illa dakhal al jannah. That I swear to Allah, anyone who will go before God. Any human being that will go before God on the day of judgment, believing in this without having any doubt in the fact that there's no one worthy of worship except for Allah and that Muhammad is a messenger of Allah, that person is guaranteed to enter paradise. The Prophet ﷺ made that statement at this particular time. And then lastly and finally, this is a very famous story also from the journey to Tabuk. Ibn Ishaq and others, they mentioned this that while they were on the journey at one of the stops that they had made, the camel of the Prophet ﷺ, while they were there at that stop, when the camel of the Prophet ﷺ had kind of wandered off. And maybe they were taking a nap or something like that, and so when, they, when the Prophet ﷺ woke up and he looked, and the camel was gone, and he asked around, so we don't know, we haven't seen it. Everyone was a little distracted during the break. And the camel had wandered off, and nobody could find the camel. Amongst the group that was traveling, there was a man who is described in this narration as being from amongst the munafiqun, one of the hypocrites, who I guess had come along just due to social or peer pressure, whatever the case may be. So he was there. So he started making some comments. He said, هذا محمد يخبركم أنه نبي ويخبركم خبر السماء وهو لا يدري أين ناقته He says that this Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam he says that he tells you that he's a prophet prophet of god he tells you the news from the heavens but he doesn't know where his camel is so you're trying to tell me this guy tells you about the unseen the life of the hereafter what god says and he can't find his camel really he started making some comments like this the Prophet ﷺ, when he was informed that there's a man saying these types of comments, the Prophet ﷺ responded by saying, وَإِنِّي وَاللَّهِ مَا أَعْلَمُ إِلَّا مَا عَلَّمَنِي اللَّهُ He said, listen, by Allah, by God, I only know that which God 
tells me, what God informs me of. And he says, But now because of the, the comments of this man, God has informed me now where the camel can be found. There's a valley over in that direction. It's lost in the valley. It was wandering about looking, for, looking to graze. Camels are pretty smart. They usually come back to where they were. But the reason why it hasn't been able to come back, it went to that valley and its rain, its rope, got caught in a tree, so it's stuck there. So if you go there, you'll find it there. And they went to go find the camel there and they found the camel there in that valley and without a doubt, its reins, its rope had been caught on that tree. And when they came back, they told the man, that this is basically what had happened in some of the narrations mentioned in Nazaid and Taba, that basically he repented and truly accepted his Islam. And he said, I was mistaken. May Allah forgive me. And he repented and he accepted Islam. And so this was the journey on the way to Tabuk. And inshallah, we'll go ahead and stop and conclude here. Uh, and in the next session, we'll talk about. Um, not only the arrival at Tabuk, but basically when they were close to arriving at Tabuk, there were two particular really remarkable things. First of all, the Prophet ﷺ passed by the ruins of Thamud, the, the, the people that had been destroyed by Allah, that's spoken about in the Qur'an. And then secondly, the Prophet ﷺ gave a very powerful khutbah when they arrived at Tabuk. And so we'll talk about that inshallah in the next session. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything that was said and heard. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanakallah wa bihamdik. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta, nasakfirku wa natubu ilayk.